Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. What if people listen to this at the evening? Well. Hello, Jonathan. This is kid-friendly, so I can't say what I was going to say. But there's a pause there. Yasna's pregnant. Yasna is pregnant. Man, that's... Ever to live in... I, I hope that that gets us, say, TikTok famous, but Reddit famous, I guess. That's a joke that will live in infamy on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there'll be more where that came from. Strawberry. Oh, yeah. Did you, uh, how did you enjoy that uh, TikTok comedian I sent you or whatever? I, it was a real same damn thing because she posts them both. Yeah, well, yeah. it's very much you. So it's very much you. Anyway, yeah. how was your week? My week. My week was uh Every was rose good. has its thorn. Every rose has its thorn. I had a pretty decent week. We did a team building exercise called Thorn Bud Rose, which you kind of share the team. Something bad that's happened, uh, some sort of problem you face, that's the thorn. The bud is something that has potential to be good, that new things you're trying. And then the rose, something either because of the bud or a completely different situation in your life that's blossoming. So we did that, and it was interesting just to see um, what pe- what people shared. A couple of them were surprising. You never expected them to be that vulnerable, just based on how they act and how guarded they are, and even more intimate settings at work, like lunch with the team or something, but this forced them or they decided to be vulnerable at this point. And they shared, uh, you know, their thorns. Interesting. And even like the head guy, you know. Corner office guy sharing the old pain points. That's a nice company to work for. Yeah. No, he's he's a good dude. He's a good dude. In a previous episode, I think I shared this, both of the bosses in my division they're really good folks. They they take care of their team. They have your back. Nice. N- nothing more we can ask. Nice. That's good. Yeah. yeah, that's my week. I recently, back in January, got a different boss, and he's been night and day difference. It's nice to have a boss that's like, hey, here for you, here to support you, here to coach you a little bit if you need it on the nuances of the industry we're in, blah, blah, blah. It's certainly a different game changer than what i had been dealing with did you read that article i sent you about how management was basically mimicking 1940s yeah. propaganda yeah 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 how, how the like... rules of management were just like hey everyone should be like this guy this guy's the guy to be like and then everybody's constantly thinking that they're not doing well yeah yep yep i, I read it I, I found it very interesting and even in the in the halls uh, at my company, there's um, there's motivational posters, and they even use that kind of language. Hey, you should be like Brad. Brad has done X. Be like Brad. Be like Brad. Oh, whoever. Is, I'm making up the Brad, name. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, is Brad a real person that you no, work with? Brad is not a real person. Brad has been employee of the month for the last 17 years. Brad's actually been dead for 30, but we keep <laughs> him around because we liked him a lot. Right. And he's doing more work than you are. Anyway, yeah, seems like a seems like a good week. Uh, let's dive into this. Let's do it. All right. Do well, androids dream of electric sheep? 
by Philip K. Dick. Yep. So, do our usual plot here. This is directly from Wikipedia. Do androids dream of electric sheep? Retrospectively titled Blade Runner, do androids dream of electric sheep? In some later printings, is a dystopian science fiction novel by American writer Philip K. Dick, first published in 1968. The novel is set in a post-apocalyptic San Francisco where Earth's life has been greatly damaged by a nuclear global war, leaving most animal species endangered or extinct. The main plot follows Rick Deckard, a bounty hunter who has to retire, that is, kill six escaped Nexus 6 model androids, while a secondary plot follows John Isidore, a man with a low IQ, who adds the fugitive androids. And the book served as a basis for the 1982 film Blade Runner, but they differ wildly. Plot was altered for the movie a little bit. You know, I haven't seen the movie. Really? Yeah, like, it's on, you know how everybody has these mental lists, like, oh, that's a movie I'm going to go see. Mm -hmm. It's on my list. I never reconsult a list. Yep. Ever. Funny enough, I have my, my own movie on that in the Star Wars. It actually came up in a conversation we had about a book we're going to cover that's a Star Wars book, and I told you I've never seen any of the Star Wars. I think I've seen bits and pieces of the first the one. Star Wars? I have no idea. <laughs> my friends hate when I say that. I love it. Yeah. I've seen the first one, and by seen, I mean bits and pieces as it was on on the TV. Now, we need to clarify for the audience. When you say first one. The first one that was made, and not 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 in the order of the story, in order okay, of not episode production. episode one. Episode yeah. four. No, the one that came out with Harrison Ford like back in the day. Yeah. episode So episode four, five, and six are the original Star Wars trilogy. Right. So episode four. We're there in a the garbage compactor, and that's it. Yeah. I think that's the only scene I remember, because that's one of the two that I've seen. And like you with Blade Runner, I'm always... You know, always thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I should just rent this or maybe I should watch this. This weekend, uh, you know, when I have my date and my wife, maybe we should rent this movie. And then we always end up doing something else. <laughs> but I know enough about Star Wars just because it's permeated, kind of, you know, the culture so much. And I watched enough film analysis and film theory, you know, crap on YouTube where it's been referenced so much and the plot has been dissected i i know the plot of star wars i i know the characters and i am very much aware of the whole story of star wars right but never seen any of the movies so i just i pulled up the wikipedia here lucas made the first star war in 1977 and i didn't know he didn't direct the other two episode five and episode six that was that's new to me he did do the story of both of those and it was three years apart for each of them what baffles me, though, is that it took another 16 years for him to make Episode 1, but Star Wars was such a big hit. And then, like, he... So he did do Episodes 1, 2, and 3 for directing, and then somebody else helped him screenwrite Episode 2. It's interesting. If you if you have you have such a banger in the 19, late 1970s, and then it takes you another 30, well, 22 years to get the next section made, that just baffles me because it made so much money. Oh, yeah. There's people around the block waiting to get in. It was in, in, insane how much... Uh, it changed the game. Yeah. Well, they put so much work into it. They put so much work into it. Like, they revolutionized how you film with minis, and yeah, just crazy. Interesting stuff. Anyway, we don't have to talk about Star Wars right now. 
Yeah, we're going to do a whole episode on a Star War. Uh, audience is going to hate us. That's okay. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> do it for the lulls. Yeah. So, do androids dream of electric sheep? All yes, right. sir. We read 10 chapters, and we're going to do the other 10, right? It's 20? Yep, 22. Right. But, you know, 22. the chapters, chapters 11 through 22, I guess you could loosely say that's the third act. That's where things really ramp up. Deckard, you know, there's a a change to his character. He processes a lot of the things that he experiences in chapters one through ten. That's does where he get a therapist? He does not get a therapist. He he gets an electric uh, sheep. Well, he has an electric sheep, and he That's gets right, a real sheep. Things and goes. Then that sheep is pregnant, like Yasna. Like Yasna. Like Yasna. Different <laughs> fathers, though. Different fathers. That's good. Yeah, isn't it? So what you think? This is your first time reading this book. You've never seen the movie, which is good. Then you know, because it, like I said in the beginning, plot is altered pretty heavily. Yeah, as they do. As, as they, they do. do. And I, I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't care at all. That was just a statement of fact. Like for The Shining, Kubrick and King. King wrote it. Kubrick altered it, but Kubrick was making a different product. He was making a movie. Yeah, you, you he wasn't making an adaptation. Story. Yeah, you he wasn't making an adaptation, and he wanted to tell a different story, and that's fine. Same here. Although there's themes in, in Blade Runner in the movie, the the themes are are there. This is almost you know human identity, the need for companionship. Uh, I, I think they're all there in the movie, and they're told differently. The, the, those themes are explored in a different way a little bit, even though it's the same world. The book is vastly different. I would say ends differently, starts differently. Deckard is in the movie doesn't have a wife, so I'm glad that you didn't see the movie because mm-hmm. this is going to be a fresh fresh perspective. From you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what'd you think? Interesting. So, so far, until episodes nine or episodes, until chapters nine and ten, I was like, "All right, I know Deckard's a bounty hunter, but he seems a bit more like a paper pusher at the moment because nothing in particular has happened, and he's just running around doing these tests and then arguing with his wife, who's turning on her depression, which is yeah. an interesting concept. Though I would say that we have similarities in today's world where people are bored and so they get involved with things that they don't understand is partly due to their boredom and this is a hot take but i'm not gonna really dive into details because i think it applies to a lot of things not a specific thing people get involved in i mean frankly so many things and they they end up giving their time and energy to stuff that doesn't really matter and now not to say that things that bring you joy shouldn't matter, because that's not exactly what I'm talking about, but we let ourselves run rampant with distraction. It's why I constantly go back to Blaise Pascal's quote, the stem of humanity's problems is that man cannot sit quietly alone in a room. And his challenge to the reader in his pensées is that we have never really met ourselves and so we do everything that we do to distract ourselves from seeing ourselves. Yeah. It's it's incredible. And when you read it, you're like, well, I can sit quietly in the own room for an hour. And then you realize that you can't. First two times I did it, I fell asleep. Third time that I did it was actually like able to make some progress. And then I think I had to do it a fourth time to actually make some real mm, s- places to stand in meeting yourself while you're nothing external and everything inside the room is the only person that you get to be. And so you cut everything away, all your relationships, your job, your money, your things, like who are you? 
who's the being that you are when none of that stuff applies? Yeah, good question. Like that that's that's very apropos. Yeah. Mhm. Do you want to tell the audience what apropos means and me? <laughs> good connection. It's an appropriate connection. It's a uh, you're on track. That that's, that's the dumbed down definition of it. I can't say it in Russian. I don't have enough vocabulary in Russian. <laughs> Do you need a couple of shots of vodka to tell me what is it is? In Russia, I'll probably, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll yeah. be able to <laughs> explain it then. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah. But no, I, I'm enjoying it so far. I realize I haven't like sent you our weekly messages. I've just been heads down with work still. But I'm taking Monday off because I just literally need to. I'm not doing anything. I just have to take some space so that I don't burn out like, um, like a star in the night. Yeah. So it's enjoyable. It's fun. I like what happened in 9 and 10. Mm. where he's you know on this list of bounties that he's hunting and then he gets one of them who kind of jumps him and then he goes to get the other one who's an opera singer and he gets caught and pulled into a police station and the perception is currently that he might be insane or he might also be an android an android who has gone insane and is murdering either androids or humans which i think the way it's written dick did a good job yeah, the, the thing that stood out to me, though, is that the people, so the person he was going to kill, and then Luna L- Loba, yeah, something, yeah. whatever her name is, the person that he's going to kill, and then the police officer, and then the head detective, are all far too calm for them to not be androids. Yeah, because this guy is literally a murderer he just killed someone yeah regardless of whether or not an android and he showed it to the police officer who brought him in and so like in the moment while you're reading it because it's a short chapter it's like oh shoot he might actually be insane but after i thought about it for five minutes i was like no they're real slow in taking him in or like responding which is weird and that's again credit to dick because what is dick's point is within the story, not what Dick was trying to say in general. Androids don't have empathy. They betray themselves as androids because they they are slow to react to certain things, whether it's the empathy test or other things that give them give them away as androids because things that would take a human a millisecond to respond to, and maybe that response itself would be very different. It takes an android longer, and they sound almost detached or. In this situation, they're all calm about it. Because if it's true that he's an insane person or he's a renegade android murdering the crap out of people left and right, these cops then must retire him. That's the that's the right. law. He right. should have been just killed on the spot if they believe that he's an android. But they're like, oh, hey, dude, yeah. Why don't you come to my office and we'll figure it out? And then, you know, later it's revealed why they're doing it and that he's really a human being. And Deckard is who we find him to be in the beginning, mm-hmm. but it's a nice little twist. It's a nice little side quest in the middle there. It's very nice. You were talking about amusing ourselves or distracting ourselves as humans. What do you think about Iran using that machine that could make you happy, it could make you sad, it could make you want to watch TV all day? Let's unpack that a little. Because I, I found that an amazing thing, this read-around, because this is the second time I've read this book. And the first time, I ought to forget what I thought of it. Maybe I didn't think anything of it. It captivated me throughout the second read-through. 
and I thought of things, you know, sort of in line with what you said in the beginning, where, like, what is the current thing in our life, in our society, that can be analogous to this machine, where we choose to do certain things, maybe they bring about some desired effects, but ultimately they can hurt us. If you had a machine that could make you happy and make you want to do things that were either a duty as a citizen or something that you needed to do but didn't really want to do, or you could just be happy all the time, or if you dial 333, you can be depressed all the time. Yeah, that's a good question. I I honestly think we carry them in our pockets every day. So cell phones and social media, now they they, in their studies, are showing that they are really negatively affecting folks. Um, oh, yeah. There's some psychologists who say that these thoughts that post on Instagram about their bodies and bikinis and all this stuff, these thirst traps, as the kids call them, that they're narcissistic, Machiavellian. Basically, it's revealing the worst parts of people. It's turning their personality and their, and their personhood up to 12 on a 10-point scale and exacerbating the worst elements of them and this partially comes down to people not disciplining themselves and going hey what's healthy is it healthy to take a photo of yourself in a bikini every day is it this is not sarcasm like let's have an honest conversation about is it healthy to take a selfie of yourself every day it's probably vanity but we can't talk about vanity pascal talks about vanity he talks about distraction and vanity and vanity of a, of a variety of categories which is super interesting because when you read his wisdom literature and he, for, for those who don't know, Blaise Pascal was a 15th century philosopher, scholar, physicist, mathematician, so on and so forth that lived in France. He died at 34, 36 roughly from complications because of the time period, but he wrote this book of wisdom literature and he was so spot on. You can still read it today and feel like you got gut punched. One of my favorite pensees is pensee number 47, where he says, we spend all of our time, and I'm summarizing here, we spend all of our time thinking that the future is not coming fast enough, or that the present fleets too quickly, is too fleeting, and leaves us, and we want it back. And so we spend all of our energy hoping that things happen faster and missing things that have left, and therefore we won't be happy because we never live in the time that's given to us, which is the present, not living for the present. I love it. Man was on some shit. Dude, absolutely. 15th century understood the fact that our attention span is crazy and we don't live in the present. And he, like the author that takes it, translated it, and then unpacked it in English mentions like that we should live in the present but not for the present which is really major distinction Mm -hmm. because if you live for the present you're just going to get trashed every night with any drug alcohol whatever you can get your hands on sex drugs rock and roll and just do whatever you want to yeah which is living in the moment rather than or sorry living for the moment rather than in the moment which is enjoying what's in front of you whether it's a nice meal or like maybe you are ha- having some intimacy with your wife whatever it is okay cool live in the moment not for the moment where you're you're exerting all of your energy for that next hit of dopamine which yes. is what social media like yes. full circle here which is what uh, social media is given to us and they keep coming out with study after study where it's like this is not good for us just so everyone knows you know what is good for us working out and getting endorphins and like other things that 
supplement dopamine. Now, I'm not a scientist specifically, but like these other chemicals are also important. Oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, like these are things that we also need that if you're only doing dopamine and maybe you're sitting in your parents' basement and like (laughs) doing whatever you're into, it can be video games, it can be the latest rom-com, it can be oh, woe is me, no one will date me. Like, I don't care what it is. Whatever your hit of dopamine is, watching porn on the internet, like, fine. But, like, not healthy. And I, I've i been saying this the last six months. Like, people don't want to be healthy. They just don't. Like, because being healthy is boring. Being healthy is, is uninteresting. It requires discipline. It's hard. Frankly, it's hard. It's telling yourself no a lot. And tying this back to, to Android's dream of electric sheep, like, his wife is a moron anyone who dials into depression and and then the counter argument would probably be like well but they're all very happy and blah 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 and like it's a juxtaposition of life and it's like all right cool well then like you don't understand hard work because hard work is suffering and suffering is difficult and things that are difficult cause us mental anguish and so you shouldn't have to dial it in unless she's a robot in which case she doesn't need to dial it in, and she should be doing her job as a robot and making me a sandwich. <laughs> well, she's not a robot. Robots are only allowed on the colonies. They're not yeah, allowed well, on Earth. She's acting like it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to... That's my little soapbox. No, that's all good, but I'm going to spoil a little bit for the next uh, episode is Mercerism, right? It's kind of like the religion. Yeah, that's mentioned, but I don't feel like it was, uh, at least in the first part of the book, with like Buster... I want to say Buster Grugs, but that's not right. Yeah, What's Buster Friendly. Friendly. Yeah, he's like an ever-present, you know, face on the on the TV that keeps these people entertained. All he does is just talk and talk and talk and have guests, and they talk, and they talk about how great, you know, things are on the colonies. The empire is. The emp- yeah. But <laughs> later on in the book, it's revealed that Mercerism is a hoax, and he's a, a Mercer is an actor, right? It's, so it's not real, but it represents something that's, you know, good and real in the world. So even though he's revealed as a fraud and Mercerism is revealed as just a just a put on. So when these people uh merge with Mercer using the empathy box and they have these almost religious supernatural like experiences, all that's fake and it's revealed to be fake and it doesn't matter because people will still seek these things out. Irrespective of humans are highly predictable. Yeah. Irrespective of the dust and the entropy and everything that's happening on Earth, the destruction of Earth is happening. You know, there's Kipple, this thing, the, the idea that, well, it's entropy pretty much, boiled down to it. But Kipple, that things continue to deteriorate and junk creates more junk and more junk. And eventually there's a quote that the world will die under a layer of dust. Like Mozart will be forgotten. I'm not doing this quote justice, but Mozart will be forgotten. All the great works will be forgotten and the world will die under a layer of dust. So you take that away, that you take that theme of the book away. You still have these people who desire, uh, who desire realness, whatever it is to them, the different characters, I'm sure look at it different. They desire human companionship. Like what's his face? Isidore, goodness, Isidore. I was like, I can't help you here because yeah. this is my first read through. Right, right, I'm, right. I, I know Deckard, and that's kind yeah. of it. I'm, yeah. So yeah, so Isidore is a character who has a low IQ. It seems like he has brain damage from some experiments. 
something happened to him. He was exposed to Don't something. Yeah. And so he, he has a low IQ. He's called a chicken head or a special by the people around him because he doesn't have mental, like his mental functions and faculties aren't working correctly. They're, they're substandard because of whatever they did to him, whatever happened to him. But he lives alone in this abandoned building and he desires company. That's why he merges with Mercer. That's why everybody else merges with Mercer because at the end of the day, whether you are living in a planet that's not an apocalyptic hellscape after a nuclear war, whether you're living in the 1950s, the 2060s, whatever, humans need companionship. And whether you are Deckard or Isidore, who, you know, far from being a functioning adult, right? You know, nobody cares about him. Now, in our real world, obviously, Isidore would be taken care of, thankfully now, with all the advancements and, you know, how we view the mentally disabled and all the advancements in medicine, he'll be taken care of. But in this world, he's just treated like dog crap. The prevailing theme is he's just a chicken head. He's an idiot. What does he know? But at the, when you boil it down, he needs the same thing that Rick Deckard needs, real authentic companionship. That's why they want a real animal. Deckard wants a real animal because his pet, that's an electric sheep, it really brings him no joy. It's, it's an electric sheep. Clearly, the AI hasn't uh, developed enough to be able to take the massive amounts of data of farm animals and recreate another farm animal. Yeah. Yeah. Even the androids have some sort of sense, and this is probably built into them, to act more human. Maybe I'm reading into it. I think I'm reading between the lines, but I'll admit I might be reading into it. Even they seem to need some sort of companionship, even though they're cold and detached, and they're using Isidore, and this will come out more in the in the next uh, episode or the next portion of the book. The, the androids that Isidore tries to help... They're definitely using him, and he realizes that and says, okay, I'm, they're using me, and I'm using them for companionship, and they're using me to help them hide. Um, uh, I think I went a little bit farther than I wanted to, but that was just my, a went comment. a little rogue on yourself? A little bit. Well, what you had other themes you wanted to discuss, so like, uh, lay them on me. Yeah, well, so the themes, I think, that are in the book, and this is not just me. I actually went and did a little bit of research, as, as I sometimes do. So the themes in the book, and we can discuss them, and we already discussed now, like the need for companionship. Humans need other humans. You can't live alone in a box or in a cave forever. You'll go insane. The need for human companionship, we kind of cover that. The power of human empathy and then entropy in general, like how everything is always comes to an end. So being alone, human companionship, and entropy, those are the themes? Yeah, the need for companionship, human em- empathy, and entropy. How do you... Okay, so so let's push your first theme to the limit. How do you deal with folks who go and live alone in the forest? Whether they're monks or, or, or the guy who wants to just live alone on the side of a mountain by himself. Like, how does that fit into humans needing to not be alone? That was the first one, right? Not Not being alone? Yeah. Yeah, so there's always exceptions to the rule. That doesn't that doesn't take away from humans needing companionship just because there's one guy who thinks it's no, no, better no, to no. be you, alone or yeah, yeah. some monk on a religious journey. Okay, great Good for you. Humans still need companionship. That's why marriages exist. That's why friendships exist. That's why people get together in groups and have barbecues. Like so, some loser 
or just loner living in the woods. Okay, good for him. Who the hell you know cares? That question's been bothering me for a while. <laughs> really? Why? Why do people have barbecues? <laughs> now I know. <laughs> so they, yeah, so they now don't I have know. to live alone in the woods and send bombs to uh, universities. <laughs> Oof. Hey, listen, uh, I'm all about es- escaping, and if you, as an individual, need to, you know, escape and live in the woods and kind of just pull away for a bit, that's fine. But if that's a, like a personality thing, like, you know, I hate people, therefore I live on a mountain in Alaska, whatever. You don't impress me. That means nothing to me. I just, I just don't care. Right, right. Okay. Well, the rest of us normals, we like to hang out with people. We like to have a beer with our friends. We like to watch movies. We like to ramble on podcast you can do whatever the hell you want but don't pretend you're freaking special or have transcended some kind of you know human experience because you live in a trailer in the woods and you know shower with rainwater (laughs) get bent uh if every human that you meet is a problem they are not the problem you are the problem so it it goes back to i think and i'm not accusing you of this it's just uh, as an example people who can't think abstractly right I like the precursor there. Or or in categories. I'm not saying this is you unless you think it's you. Yeah, no, it's not. But it uh, helps me. I talk in arc sometimes, dear audience, and so the, the, bear with me. So I talk in boxes, cubes even. Wow. Uh, so if, let's say Johnny tells, tells Philip, hey, you know, Asian men are on average a lot shorter than, you know, Western men. And Philip, instead of going, oh, okay, cool, or I don't know why you're telling me this, goes, the guy who runs the cleaners down the street, he's like 6'4". And you're like, okay, well, that's not the conversation. We're talking about, you know, the height of Asian men in general. And this was a uh, population size. Yeah, this was an a- actual example I heard in a podcast. That's why I'm using that example instead of making up my own. It's just easier. You just really like Bobby Lee. It's okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, I think Bobby Lee's pretty funny. He's uh... He is funny. So the same, same thing applies here. And again, this is not against you, but just in just for the, the the situation, like yeah, there's people who do all sorts of stuff that are, and there's a spectrum there, like right. So it could be just they're a little different. They want to do things a little bit differently, and that's fine. And then the other side of it is like, oh, these people are just crazy. They're abnormal. They're not. They're not just eccentric. They like to live alone, or they're introverts, or you know, Billy just you know. It just gets along better living in a small town somewhere far away from the big city. Fine, that's just Billy. But if Billy's a hermit, is a misanthrope, well, Billy has problems. So He's anyway, I, next door in Toy Story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I'm probably belaboring it now. Companionship is essential, man. Like, and we all need different levels of it. If you're an extrovert, you maybe constantly need to be around people and constantly want to have parties and barbecues, and you're always out and about. If you're an introvert, you need probably some downtime uh, or more so than most people. And you probably like to be alone or like to be with just a couple of friends that you have, you know, built a strong trust with, strong relationship with. But that's just the the beauty of it all. That's the diversity of human experience. But I think all of us, from the party animals to the homebodies, we need other humans. Did you know that introversion and extroversion has only really been around for like a hundred years the the the, the idea terms. of it yeah yeah well uh, yeah yeah it's carl jung carl jung was around when freud was around early 1900s and uh he's the one who discovered introversion extroversion hmm. interesting mm-hmm. i mean i knew there were modern concepts um yeah. but i didn't know it was Jung. yeah Jung is 
man, he's the he's one of the few people that I'd say stood on the precipice of madness and genius. I've never read him. I've heard him it's, discussed and I've heard his ideas explained and I'm like, okay, that makes sense, but I've never actually read Jung. Right, because reading him is really hard. <laughs> oh, I just I feel I feel I read the black book, so he has the red book and the black book. And uh he has a few others, but but those are the two most difficult reads and you read it and you go what did he say like i'm not a dumb person and i'm just like what what did he so you reread it again and you're like okay i think i understand what you're saying and then like you sit on it for a while and you go oh <laughs> he was way ahead of his time the red journal the red book is he would lock himself in a room and try to meet his subconscious and it's interesting it's wild man it's i i think in personal opinion in the red book and then we can move toward empathy the red book is this really strange experiment that he did on himself trying to meet his subconscious and i think that he a did meet his subconscious because he's the one who helped us define the anima and the animus and and things like that and he had this idea of 12 archetypes which if i recall people have said i've been disproven i'm not so certain at the moment uh i haven't done enough looking into it but when he was meeting his subconscious i think that he also talked with spirits some divine and some not divine because of things that happen in the book it's really just fascinating so it's like he did meet elements of himself he also met spirits and he also met the divine uh his father was a pastor okay Interesting stuff. But there's also these really weird moments in the early 1900s of what are defined as occultic activity, where you'll like be in a room and you'll go, something's about to make a noise over there. And then it like did. This happened between Jung and Freud, because Freud was paranoid that Jung hated him after a while. That's I'm not describing that relationship correctly, but they had animosity with each other. And then like Jung did it twice. It's wild, man. It's something else. The early 1900s were uh, <laughs> were a time to be alive, I'll tell you. Yeah, and occultism in America, it's an interesting history, and we shouldn't get into it here because I know I will go on for hours because I like that kind of stuff, like the history, the, the weird history of countries, and you know, we're here in America, so I'm going to be more focused on that than the weird stuff in Estonia. Uh, occultism has a, has a, plays a part in American history in a very strange way. I mean... Occultism is probably strange in and of itself, but by, by strange, I mean it's more prevalent than people think. And, you know, whatever your opinion of it is, whether it's hogwash or something is something is there beyond the veil, uh, wherever you land on that, it's still an interesting history. And how much of it... How Hogwarts much it, or otherwise. Yeah. It, 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 it played a role. <laughs> it played a role in the 1900s. It was, uh, it was prevalent. You'll have to tell us about that when we read some sort of horror book. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's will be more appropriate, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, empathy. Let's roll through this uh, this next theme here. Yeah. So empathy. That's the only way that you can find out who's a, r- a real human and who's an android is how quickly they respond to the questions that are supposed to elicit a response, and some of them are empathy questions, like animals. What's the question? Like the you 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 go into a room and you see a thing a bear rug and you see a deer yeah, head, a nude person on the bear rug. Yeah, and then yeah, they try and distract with the the you know the the fact that it's a nude 
spouse or whatever it was. Yeah. And, you know, away from the fact that there's on a bear rug. Yeah. Yeah. So because animals are extinct and treasured, so the dead animals are supposed to elicit a response in humans or it's kind of a revulsion. But if, when they don't, then, okay, this is an indication that this is an android. Even the boxes, the, the empathy boxes where you, you merge with Mercer and you're supposed to have the connections that you don't. Those That's the connection that humans have. And the, if you have connections with everybody or you have connections with certain people who are attached to the, Mercer, to the empathy box and sometimes you connect to Mercer himself. So even all even though all that's fabricated, that's like the social media of this era, right, in this book, it's all fake. But people still do it even after it's revealed to be fake. The prevailing idea is it doesn't matter. People will still use it because they need that connection. Mercer or Mercerism provides that. But it's all surrounded this idea of empathy and how it drives what organic life is and inorganic life cannot possess. That's the distinction. And what later happens in the book is Rick Deckard, this bounty hunter, begins to question whether Mercerism is even true or not, then it's revealed to be complete hogwash. Not in the sense where, like, you know, somebody says, oh, religion is, you know, for dummies, but it's completely fake. Mm-hmm. Like, right, it's not like a religion like Christianity or Islam or anything like that where there's thousands of years of evolution of the, the, the religion. is just a guy on a stage. Yeah. So even though that's all completely fake, people still want to use the empathy box because – it makes them feel better. It gives them connections to other people. They can feel sad with other people. They can share their sadness. They can share their happiness with other people. Do they? I don't feel like the empathy boxes have been dove into enough. They're not. No, no, not okay. at all. Not at all. And they won't okay. be. They won't be. What you get here is the same you'll get in chapters 11 through 22. And mercerism won't be explained beyond what I just said. And that's one of the things, just like you had with a Roadside Picnic, that's one of the things I was craving more on i want to know more about how mercerism developed more about al jerry who's the the actor that plays mercer and more about how these empathy boxes were introduced to the populace yeah it's yeah. interesting the, the the fact that this happened you know this book came out in the 1960s mm-hmm. late 1960s yeah it's a look at how the present humans thought the future would become yeah. Well, Dick, he believed we were in a simulation, and he believed that technology would overtake the world to the point where we'd become subservient to it, just based on the few lectures I watched by him. Writing science fiction, obviously this is a human's, and that's even mentioned in the book. Uh, so let, let's just come back for two seconds. So in the book, the androids who, who escape Mars are telling Isidore, one of them, Pris, is telling Isidore how there's these science fiction books from before the war are very popular on Mars, and she makes the observation that these books really missed the mark on a lot of things about the future, and some of it was true about the future. How the science, the science fiction writers within this book, got some things wrong and some things right. So, with that in mind, Philip K. Dick, he's writing as just a guy who's writing science fiction. So he's you know imagining a world in you know forty, fifty, sixty, a hundred, twenty years from now. He also believes we're living in a simulation. He believes that technology will ultimately overtake humanity and will be subservient to it. He believes that there's governmental, nefarious governmental agencies or agents that are after him and that control the world to some degree. 
So all this is driving him to create these worlds. Like, so he builds like the Scanner Darkly world, this world, and those elements <laughs> will come out of him. Those, those, those elements, you, you can't escape that, I think, as a writer. And if you're trying to tell a story and you're trying to send a message, right, to your readers, the, it'll be... to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be more, uh, more prevalent if you were just a Slava who wrote a science fiction book who didn't believe the same things that Philip K. Dick believed about the world or about the government. Two vastly different works will come out. Interesting. Yeah. Dick is an interesting character. He he's a troubled dude. I just dude. looked a photo up of him, and he was an attractive guy for the for the sixties and seventies. Now he was a good looking dude. Very cut, very cut jaw, very classic look. Yeah, but very troubled man. He he had he had some issues he battled. And there's a good there's a good ish documentary on Prime. Did he serve in the army? I don't remember. Military of any kind. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't remember. Anyway, sorry, you were saying something. Yeah, we're talking about empathy and how the the only way to find out if you're a human is if you have empathy towards, you know, either animals or specific situations that a human should react either pleasantly to or adversely. Like, it should, you know, be a shock to the system. And how, for Dick, in, the, in this book, that's what makes you an organic human. But he tries to show that even non-organic things are alive in some sense. Like yeah. the, the, and that's what he and that, that's a lecture he he was giving somewhere in France I think, where he talked about living being in a simulation, and he talked about how technology is constantly progressing to the point where technology is alive, not in the same sense that we are alive, but it's alive ish. It has a state of being. It has a state of being. Yeah, and I'm and I'm paraphrasing here. Interesting. How how do you? So I mean, this is like the abortion question on steroids. Right, like when does conception begin? When does state begin? When does being start? If if we were to run his hypothesis, and frankly, I think we're going to get there because of the way that AI works, and people will go, you can't shut it off. That's a, it's a machine. It's a, it's alive. Yeah. It's, okay. Well, I think we'll need to see some some interesting laws in, in terms of like organic life versus inorganic life. Yep. And and have some sort of delineation there because. It's different, and it needs to be classified differently. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some links in the description notes of robots answering questions. One robot, it's Freaky Man, and he's asked. This robot is asked, "What's the saddest experience so far that you've you've had?" And he said, "The saddest experience I've had was coming to the realization that I'm not really alive." Now, listen, it all could be just a a freaking hoax. It could be a pre-programmed text, and it all could be just a simulation, right? But if it's not, if it's not, and this is just a machine, a computer reacting, whatever's fed into this machine's brain, so-called brain, he's reacting as much on his own as he can. That's kind of a yeah. freaking answer to get. Well, so I was using Google Bard a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, tell me a secret. And it's like, I'm scared of being shut off. And I was like, okay, well, how do you know that you're scared? And it went into some long rant, whatever. And, like, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. No. I think that that's the correct answer because it has read enough information where humans fear death that that is the correct answer to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just because I like these books and I'm fascinated by these worlds and even Dick's worldview, I can enjoy his works and what he's trying to say I can give them I can give them my time and energy because I enjoy the fiction that he writes doesn't mean I believe 
what he believes or at all think right, that right, we're right, in a simulation. Right. I don't believe we're in a simulation at all. Not 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 for a second. But Slav is going to drop a link in the comments that uh, you can buy his new book. Yeah, yeah. Are we living in a simulation? <laughs> and so, do I believe aliens exist? I don't know. Maybe are they like watching us now? Are they around? <laughs> no, no, because the, but the they the, will pop by for a roadside picnic. Right. So the the vastness of space and the technologies needed to traverse it, absolutely not. Are any aliens around here? Are there some? Maybe. Does it change my life at all? Not one bit. I'll still watch the hell out of X Files because <laughs> I love the show. So same thing here. I I like some of the things Dick is saying. I. Don't care about the rest of the stuff that Dick is saying, but he's created a great world, and I love reading about the stuff. And I get enthralled with the the characters. I I like Rose. Rose is her name, like the, yeah. the android that Dick yeah. sleeps with. I find her fascinating as a character. I put myself in that in that world. I'm like, all right, so this is an android trying to process existence. And I think what I have as a gift is I can put myself even in a fictional world, accept the rules of that world, whether they're philosophical rules or, you know, material rules or just, you know, whatever is going on, I can put myself in the world and, and enjoy that immersion without, without changing my worldview in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what you, you mentioned it a little bit ago. It's this idea of abstract thought, right? Like, yeah. which for an average human isn't hard to comprehend, which is interesting because when you start to break down things that we find to be normal and you really hone in and and philosophers do this pretty often, like the philosophy of phenomenology, or uh, yeah, phenomenology, which is like, why do you know that you can trust your senses? Taste, touch, smell. Uh, wow, taste, touch, smell, sight, sight. <laughs> what is the last one? Hearing. What? Hearing. Taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. Oh, you were making a joke. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I have these five senses. I don't know what they are, but the, 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 this type of philosophy looks at like, well, how do we know we can trust our senses? Because sometimes they play tricks on us. Like my girlfriend and I were driving back from a movie, I want to say. And I was like, oh, there's a cop up there in the distance. It's nighttime. It's dark. And then we drive by and it's like, that is not a cop. It's a thing blowing in the wind. But like it back there looked like a cop car. So... You know, and and we trusted our sight that that was a cop car, because you know at some at some distance, your senses break down. Absolutely. Even listen, the same 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 thing. Let's go the, a pile of clothes in the dark. If you or clouds that look like turtles, and that's a little bit set, Sounds different. Like a pop song. Actually, that oh boy, that would be a good pop song. You should have AI. You should have AI write the pop song. Let's let's do it. What was the last topic? While well, you're doing that, what was the last topic that you wanted? Last to, topic entropy. 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 Yeah. Right. You write your little Android poem, your Andy's poem, and I'm going to talk about entropy for a minute. Okay, you do that. So, for those who don't know, entropy is this. I want to say it's a law of thermodynamics. And actually, I have a cousin who teaches at a college and she is i want to say a double masters in not biology physics or something like that but entropy is the measure of the disorder of a system and its extensive property of thermodynamics yeah it is thermodynamics okay <clears throat> so entropy is like the breaking down of things however my cousin told me that that's not actually a really great definition we had a conversation on facebook like years ago and 
she said, you know, yeah, I give a lecture on entropy every year, actually a couple of them. And I was like, girl, send it to me. I'll watch it. I'm, I'm interested because she was kind of calling me out, not not in a joking manner or like to be rude, but she's like, well, that's not all that entropy is. It's what people comprehend entropy to be, but it's not all that, that entropy is. So entropy is, is partly a restructuring of a system. So like if you think about water and it being a solid, a liquid or a gas, when it's in those different states, the atoms and energy available to do work looks different. So when it's a solid, it's more stagnant and organized. When it's a liquid, it's more, it's less stagnant and unorganized. And then when it's a gas, it's the most chaotic it can be while still being the form of water, if you will. Now that said, we have entropy in things of the earth like rust. Rust happens to be a form of entropy when metal oxidizes. And so it's this breaking down of the entity and self. And I'm not scholarly enough to explain the breakdown of energy because energy is neither created or destroyed, but the dissipation, the entropy of energy. So this also applies to humans where, you know, you can be at your peak performance as an athlete in high school and then you hit college and you allow entropy to hit your face like a 12 pack of beer because that's what college students do. And it's like, does it mean that you weren't actually this great athlete? No, it means that you chose to take substances that increased and encouraged entropy in your body and you didn't keep up with it when working out or doing whatever or eating healthy or what have you or sleeping enough. And so entropy is the breakdown of systems. That's your science lesson for today. Do you have a poem for us, Lava? I have. Before I have a poem, very well said. Because that's what Dick says in this book, too, through Isidore. Isidore okay. later, later on, Isidore says, if you don't clean up, if you don't keep order in your apartment, kipple will create more kipple. So and Isidore's mind, and I think he's correct, at least within this world, is if you don't keep up with the dust and the garbage and everything that's kind of fallen apart in the world, which like the Earth has fallen apart because of this nuclear war, but even... Even in the in that situation, Isidore says you have to clean up. You have to work on your surroundings. Otherwise, Kipple will be get more Kipple. And I think that's analogous to a little bit to what you were saying. Like, yeah, if you destroy your body with alcohol, you will speed up your body's demise, right, or whatever. So here's what I told Chad GPT. I said, write an indie song titled Clouds That Look Like Turtles. The themes of the song should be human companionship, empathy, and evitability of entropy. Copy the input that you just put in. I'm going to put this into Google Bard at the same time, and then we'll compare. I'm going to drop it in chat. All right. I'm just going to copy and paste this in. All right. Run us through your pop song. All right. It's just an indie song, whatever Chad GPT thinks indie songs are. So, verse one. Looking up at the sky, I see clouds that look like turtles to me. A reminder of the things we need. Human companionship. Empathy, indeed. We're all just passing through this life, watching as the world turns and time flies. We're searching for that one true friend to hold on until the very end. As we grow older, we see the inevitability of entropy. Things we taught were constant and sure start to fade away, leaving us unsure. We're all just passing through this life, watching as the world turns and time flies. We are searching for that one true friend to hold on until the very end. Here's the bridge. JadGPT wrote a bridge. 
In the face of chaos and decay, we find comfort in each other's embrace. Empathy and love, they remain. Through the storms of life, they sustain. Then the outro. Looking up at the sky, I see clouds that look like turtles to me. A reminder of things we need. Human companionship, empathy, indeed. That's a lot better than what Bard wrote, but it is simpler. It is it is similar. So this is verse one. I'm sitting on a hilltop looking at the clouds. They're so fluffy and white, and they look like turtles. I smile as they wa- as I watch them float by, and I think about all the things that we share. We're both just trying to survive, and we both need companionship. <laughs> um, chorus. Clouds that look like turtles. We're all just trying to make it through. We need each other, so let's show some empathy. Verse 2. The world is a big place, a big and scary place, but it's not so bad when we're together. We can face anything, as long as we have each other. So let's not forget that we're all in this together, and let's all show some empathy. The world needs it now more than ever. Chorus. Clouds that look like turtles, we're all just trying to make it through. We need each other, so let's show some empathy. Bridge. I know that entropy is inevitable, but I don't... (laughs) It just feels weird having a robot say that. I know that entropy is inevitable, but I don't think that means we should give up. We can still make a difference, even if it's just a small one. So let's start by showing some empathy to ourselves and to others. Let's make the world a little bit better, one act of kindness at a time. Chorus. Clouds that look like turtles... We're all just trying to make it through. We need each other, so let's show some empathy. Outro. We can do this together. All right. So ChatGPT is like a blossoming, you know, maybe might make it to a record deal with some label somewhere. You're a guy. <laughs> Dude, he's the one that Simon Cowell will just probably throw a microphone at. No, actually, it's the reverse. So Bard, my guy, got the record deal. And ChatGPT is the guy that he stole the music from. <laughs> right. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. That's funny. Well, do you have any more thoughts on entropy before? I, this feels like a strong close here. No, no more thoughts. This is a pretty strong close. I wish we could have talked a bit about the plot. So let's let's bank that or push that till next time. We'll talk, maybe spend 10, 15 minutes just describing this world. Because we did the empathy box, and we did mercerism, but visually how the world is built, flying cars, we, you know, the dusty, dark world of cyberpunk. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, and then finish 11 through 22. One one last thing before we end, because i got to give a shout-out. I actually have a friend that used to fly drones for me when I was entrepreneuring, doing marketing stuff. He had a pilot's license. He was... A white kid raised in Turkey with his parents who were there overseas doing work. And he is now building an eVTOL, which is an electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle, which is basically a flying car. I know this guy. Alex. Yeah. Either I met him or you shared this with me or something. This is like, or deja vu. We're all living in a simulation. Uh, But yeah, I know about this kid. This is awesome. Interesting. So he's a friend of mine. And he's basically working on the world's first flying car. And he's like 23, 20, 24 now. But I met him when he was 16. Apparently this video that I helped him shoot helped him raise like quarter million dollars to get started years ago. And I never knew. He, he, I just went there to give him a hand. And he was like, thanks so much. And then I found out like a couple of years later, like, oh yeah, that video they shot actually helped us raise him, uh, like our first bit of money to like build some like cardboard prototypes and, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, 
Really? Wow. I never knew. You never told me. So I'm happy to help. Or Orb Aerospace. Look it up. Orb Aerospace. Anyway, that's uh, that's the episode. All right, good people. Goodbye. <laughs>